The Eco Right Speaks podcast is your conservative home for weekly climate news, interviews, points of view, climate heroes, jesters, and so much more. We'll share the stories of people leading in their local communities and around the country. Welcome to the Eco Right Speaks podcast. It's brought to you by RepublicEN.org. Hello, and welcome to the Eco Right Speaks, your climate focused podcast produced by the team at RepublicEN.org. I'm your host, Chelsea Henderson, totally in awe that it is May. April showers bring May flowers, and I am ready to watch everything I have planted in the last couple of years really bloom and show me what they've got. But first, today's guest is someone who took the initiative to pitch himself for the show. I frequently ask you, my listeners, to recommend the voices you want to hear from. I take those recommendations seriously and try my best to honor them, though I don't always hear back from the subjects in question. Rarely, though, does someone offer themselves for the show, but today's guest did, and I'm so happy he took that leap. Thomas Hockman is a fellow at the Citizens Climate Lobby, one of our key allies in the battle to price carbon. Thomas's writing has been featured in The National Interest, The Washington Examiner, and a number of other outlets. Listeners, this part surprised me. He's currently a sophomore and honor student at the University of Vermont, pursuing a Bachelor of Science in Mathematics. He is very interested in climate change and national security, and it is that nexus between climate change and energy security that we talk about today. So refill your water glasses, make sure your AirPods are charged. We will be right back with my conversation with Thomas Hockman. Welcome back, listeners. I'm sitting here today in conversation with Thomas Hockman. Thank you for being on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Okay, so all the time I say to our listeners, to our friends in the eco-right, if you know somebody who should be on the show, then let me know. And we've had people recommend other people, but you are the first to recommend yourself. And I love that kind of enthusiasm. So thank you for reaching out to me. And it's a pleasure to have you here. Happy to be here. So when you pitched me, um, we had, I believe that the uh, Russian attack on Ukraine had just happened. And obviously here we are at the time you and I are recording. It's been you know six weeks of ongoing conflict between those two nations and also a pretty significant energy crisis among all of that. So this is something that you have some expertise in. And I thought you might just like to share with the listeners um, some of what you know and um, have learned about this. Yeah, sure. Well, I mean, obviously it's a big question, Um, but this year has been a super interesting year for talking about energy security, um, in part because of what's been happening domestically with the failure to pass Build Back Better, um, but also obviously with with what's going on in in the Ukraine right now. Um, So I think the the most important thing that that I would want to focus on is talking about where people are correct to be criticizing American policy around energy security and where perhaps um, there have been some misunderstandings or, or, or perhaps uh, purposeful mischaracterizations of, um, of why we are where we are, particularly as it relates to prices at the pump. Um, so the, th- the thing about the price of gas, the price of the pump, is that this stuff is largely the result of oil prices. Um, so over 70% of, of the changes in the price of the pump is the result of, um, of oil prices. And a lot of conservatives, um, of which I'm certainly one, um, will will say that uh, um, 
they'll they'll say that that America could have a large impact on, on prices of the pump, and that that's true over the long term. But um, but what we're looking at right now with the changes in uh, in energy prices uh, and and particularly gas prices is largely a result of of stuff that's been going on for years and, and it didn't start during the Biden administration. So um, the number one uh, impact. Um, has been the has been coronavirus, the pandemic. So when COVID happened, it drove um, many oil producers, especially in the United States, into bankruptcy, which just meant that we had fewer producers and prices went up. Um, inflation. And also, I would just note to that that demand was down too because people yeah. weren't driving. All of a sudden, we had entire workforces that were working from home. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and and the thing about oil is that, uh, and this always happens, but it's particularly true right now, is that uh, now supply is trailing demand. Uh, so now that demand is back up, we don't have as many suppliers, and that's in large part due to we just have fewer producers in the United States now. Um, inflation obviously also does have an impact on this, although it, it's it's a lot smaller than than the impact of the pandemic. So you could point to the current administration's policies there uh, for sure a little bit. Um, and then another thing that I would point to is refining capacity. Um, so refine, oil refining can be kind of boring, uh, and it's, it's not something that, pe- that people always love to talk about. But uh, the thing about oil is that it's not just one thing. Um, it's actually made up of a lot of different components. And where you get that oil from uh, will actually have a, a pretty major impact on the U.S.'s ability to, to refine it and make use of it here. Um, so the U.S. a decade plus ago... Uh, thought that it wasn't going to be energy independent, wasn't going to be producing most of its oil. Uh, and so they set up their refineries largely to be able to refine oil that was coming in from abroad. Um, then the fracking revolution happened. Turns out that we actually produced a huge amount of oil, um, but our refineries largely weren't set up for it. So we actually send a lot of the stuff that we produce uh, abroad. Um, and the last thing that I would say is that oil is set, the price of oil is set on an international market. Uh, and so that means that actually, even though we produce a massive amount of oil here in the United States, um, when Russia invades the Ukraine, uh, and that has an impact on the price of oil internationally, that impacts the price of oil here. Um, so, so the unfortunate thing in all of this um, is that the, the sort of I, this idea of energy independence as it relates to oil is, is sort of a falsehood um, because of the way that the international oil market works. So this is why somebody like me, who's, who's a member of the eco-right, is, is looking at all this and, and we say, okay, well, this is the time that we should actually be pushing on clean energy. Uh, this, is, this is a time where we should be moving towards energy sources where you actually can have some sort of energy independence, where you are producing the energy here, you can make use of it here, and it's all this sort of self-contained grid. Um, but uh, but obviously it's complicated. So um, uh, there, there are things that the Biden administration could be doing now um, to be reducing the price of, of uh, at the pump. That's stuff like tapping into the, strate- the strategic petroleum reserve. But the point is that to be sort of looking at uh, at the cr- at current prices and blaming that on anything that's happened over the last few years, or really blame it on any administration, yeah. isn't yeah. really uh, the right way of looking at uh, at prices at the pump right now. I really find it fascinating that people blame presidents for gas prices because if presidents had that kind of power, it wouldn't matter who was in office, gas would cost next to nothing, right? That would be like the most popular policy that you could ever implement as a president is to lower gas prices. Right. And and then I would just note that back when before the fracking revolution, when I was working on the Hill and we were trying to pass a climate change bill, that was the last time that gas prices were over $4 a gallon here in the United States as they are now. And just throwing out there also, 
we have some of the cheapest gas in the world, right? Like compare, if you go abroad and you travel anywhere, the first thing I always notice with a little gulp is how expensive gas is everywhere else. But when we were trying to pass this climate change bill, the timing was just terribly unfortunate, right? Because gas prices were so high and that was really driving a separate conversation on fuel economy standards. Okay, so if gas prices are this high, we wanna get more bang for the buck. We wanna go farther. And President Bush was in office at that time, and there was an energy bill going through the House and the Senate. And and so, you know, I do think that policies like that are important because they give consumers power. And so looking today at this crisis kind of happening all over again, energy prices going up and the only, you know, I drive a Prius. I don't drive often because I'm, I work from home and we're still in a pandemic where I live. So um, I'm only filling up my car like every three, three and a half weeks and, So I don't always notice the huge fluctuations, but I have an 18 year old and he has a car that is not a hybrid or an EV. And so he's constantly complaining to me about how much gas prices cost. But um, what I was going to say is that it seems that now, and this is definitely where my brain has, is going, we need, you know, while we're trying to, it's not a short-term solution by any means, but doing more to ensure more electric vehicles on the market and in people's I was going to say hands, but driveways, wherever you park, just because that does have like more of the long-term benefit of steering us away from being reliant on, on foreign oil. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And I mean, I don't, I don't want to minimize the impact that gas prices and the increase in gas prices had, has had on, on everyday Americans to be sure. Yeah. Um, this stuff is, is real. It's serious and, and it's, it's, it sucks, but um yeah. But but really, it's just a question of okay. So where do we go from here, right? So, is it is it drill baby drill? Is it go all clean energy? Is it some all of the above approach? Um, and and so I, I just wanted to to speak to the fact that um, when we talk about what has an impact on uh, on gas prices, realizing that this is sort of something that that unfortunately a given administration can't actually have that much of an impact on. Um, that 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 would push me towards advocating for. Uh, electrifying the grid as, as quickly as possible, mm-hmm. having more EVs on the road, um, and just having the option to have a more, uh, a more energy independent and, and cleaner uh, country. No, absolutely. I'm in full agreement with that. And, and you know, I, we've done a little bit of talking about this in, in past episodes about really the impacts of this conflict, Russia and Ukraine on Europe, because while we get, I think it's what, 5%, 8% of um, our oil comes from Russia or our natural gas comes from Russia, Europe is a lot more dependent. And I'm sort of thinking, well, you know, you never want to be reliant on on a government with a history of despotic leaders <laughs> or, you know, instability or political instability. And yet it seems that all the countries in the world that have that have abundant supplies of oil and gas are those things, right? So how come Europe walked away? I mean, not that they walked away. I know that there have been, um, that there is a commitment to wanting to solve climate change, for example, and renewable energy. But Germany is a great example, right, of a country that decided to go all in, lean in heavily on Russian natural gas. And yep. now they are paying the price. Yep. Yeah. No, I mean, I think it's... I, it's sometimes, I mean, sometimes you want to talk about Europe as a monolith, but, but certainly like there's a difference between France and Germany and that France sure. has leaned right. into its, its, right. uh, its nuclear sector. Right. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, here's, here's a perfect example of why energy is so important as a foreign policy tool and, and as a way of thinking about national security in general, just beyond energy security mm-hmm. is, 
Germany is, is going to suffer and already is suffering greatly as a result of its move to shut down uh, nuclear power plants mm-hmm. across the yep. country. France, meanwhile, is going to see far less of an impact because they didn't do that. So, yeah, yeah, there's there's a much larger conversation to be had about environmental groups and nimbyism and uh, and and years of of sort of anti-nuclear propaganda to go as far as to use that term um, and the impact that that has had on on uh, on countries, national security. We're energy optimists and climate realists. Stand with us at RepublicEN.org. Now back to this week's episode. Well, yeah, I mean, it's it's tough. In, in one sense, Europe has done a lot of things really well. Uh, if, if you were to sort of have this conversation a year ago, um, we wouldn't be we, we wouldn't be speaking as uh, the, the, the way that we are now, particularly about Germany, because uh, Europe has been decarbonizing in, uh, especially in Western Europe and the energy Gewenda, which is, uh, our energy Gewenda in, uh, in Germany, which is their energy bureau has done actually quite a remarkable job in their transition towards renewables, but they did that without thinking about how to, how do you provide base load? So, uh, mm-hmm. and for, for them, that was nuclear and now it's natural gas. Um, so I think we're going to learn a lot over the next couple of years, um, seeing, seeing how countries respond to this. I obviously in uh, there are other countries in Europe like Belgium who have suspended their plans to get rid of their nuclear plants. They're, mm-hmm. they're looking at what's happening and it's sort of a call to arms a little bit to, mm-hmm. to keep nuclear around. Um, so that makes me hopeful that people are looking at this and, and coming to some good conclusions um, about what to do next, but, but we can only wait and see. Yeah, we definitely need some, I think that people tend to look at the short term, but really we need to be planning the long term and yeah. Um, I wanted to just take a second um, to talk about the CCL conference last week, because I know you were there and you were a conservative fellow with um, Citizens Climate Lobby, good friends of ours, and uh, our Bob Inglis spoke at that conference. So I'm just wondering, what was the vibe like? You know, we haven't really had that many in-person events the last couple of years, but here we are. People were together. Uh, Give us the download on what, um, what that conference was like last week. Yeah, it was it was super exciting. Um, I believe we had five representatives come and speak to us. So we had I'm not going to remember everybody, but we had John Curtis. We had Nancy Mace, who I know you uh, recently published a podcast with yeah. um, and uh, and uh, Trey Hollingsworth from Indiana, um, which I, I'm, I if I if I understand it correctly, that was the most uh, members of Congress that, that CCL has had at a, at a conservative conference yet. Um, and it's, it's it's pretty clear that the energy right now. Uh, amongst conservatives on the Hill is certainly heading in the right direction. Um, people are talking more and more about this. They're realizing that they, they need to present uh, not just um, sort of a rhetorical response to, to climate change, but, but also actually they need to come forth with their own set of policy proposals. So um, I don't know. We'll see if uh, how soon that materializes and, and how seriously conservatives ultimately do engage with this. But, um, but I, it certainly made me hopeful hearing the way that People were talking about this. Trey Hollingsworth said that he uh, came out directly and said that he supported putting a price on carbon. Um, yes. So this is all this is all exciting stuff. This is stuff that you you couldn't couldn't have imagined a decade ago. So um, it was. Uh, I would say the energy generally was was quite good there. That's excellent news um, about Mr. Hollingsworth. And of course, we're all watching Mr. Curtis and the Conservative Climate Caucus that he's assembled and. Um, I believe they got together, they convened last June um, when, when he, that was when he launched the caucus. He said, give them a year. So we're ticking up on a year and a couple of months. would love to see that group introduce some bills that actually have some prospects of, of bipartisanship and moving forward. And 
Um, you know, today I just saw right before um, tuning in with you for this conversation, I saw that the IPCC most recent um, segment of their report is out. And wait, I just have to find this one quote because to me, it really summed it up. Um, let's see. Uh, report the world must act now to make rapid, deep, and immediate cuts to CO2 emissions if it hopes to stave off global warming. And here's the thing, you know, we were just talking about, obviously, oil prices, gas prices, drill baby drill versus all of the above. And I am really scared that we're going to kind of default back to where we're comfortable, right? And that drilling more is going to be the answer. And I think you and I both know that while there are obviously emergency situations, it feels like we can't. We can't um, solve one crisis by making another crisis worse. Yeah. yeah. There has to be some balance and some forethought. Well, and, and only the other, the other thing here is that it's largely true that Biden isn't stopping uh, the uh, oil executives from drilling, but oil executives are, are saying that Wall Street's made it incredibly hard for them to do that, right? So uh, there, there was recently uh, several oil executives were polled and they were asked why they weren't drilling more. And they said they wouldn't drill even if the price of crude oil went up to something like it was either 120 or $150. Um, and, and they said it was because of investor pressure to, to uh, maintain capital discipline. And only 11% of them said that it was environmental, social, or governance issues. So the thing is, it's, the U.S. is not like Saudi Arabia or Russia where they can, they can just command their oil executives to drill more. Um, right. It's uh, it's broadly a free market, and uh, right now oil executive or oil companies don't want to drill more. Um, so you know, e- even for, I guess depending on how you approach this this question, it, that could be a good thing or a bad <laughs> thing. But um, but I think that's that's sort of another another bit of a, a misnomer, I guess, about um, the way that that uh, the current the current administration or any administration would impact how oil companies are thinking about this stuff. So as um, a member of Generation Z. Uh, what what gives you hope? What makes you just not feel so despondent that previous <laughs> generations have let you down? <laughs> well, I think the fact that um, the U.S. has been decarbonizing and uh, pushing clean technology forward, uh, in spite of the fact that we haven't passed any serious uh, climate policy in, in the time that I've been alive. Um, so, I, I think the first of all, I think that we're watching more and more people engage with this, this issue seriously, particularly with, with my generation. Um, I mean, just the fact that, that conservatives are putting together conservative climate caucuses, uh, the people that, you know, we have conservative representatives endorsing a carbon tax explicitly. Um, this is a reaction to the fact that people are pushing their elected leaders to, to take this issue more seriously. Mm-hmm. So I'm hopeful that, you know, in the next, over the next few years, or, or at least over the next decade, we'll see a uh, serious policy passed by the U.S. government, but um, but even in the absence of that, the uh, the American in the in the private sector, the push for clean technology, the way in which solar prices in particular have dropped dramatically, how wind prices have dropped dramatically, and and how countries all over the world are uh, are deploying more and more clean technology for the simple reason that it's just cheaper now, um, and they, and they see it as an economic opportunity. It to me it fills me with hope that. That even if if the gov- if governments can't get anything done, um, we're still going to be moving in the right direction on climate. Hallelujah! I hope you're right. <laughs> Thank you. Um, one more question: Are you related to Nate? That's my older brother. Okay. <laughs> At first, I uh, when I got your email, honestly, I thought maybe you were Nate's father. I wasn't <laughs> sure until I did some of my research, and I was like, no, he's young. 
And I'll, I'll, have to, I'll have to tell him you said that. <laughs> I'm sure he'd love to hear that. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, it's great having both of you in this um, in this fight with us, allies to the eco right, part of the eco right. And again, I really thank you for taking the initiative, um, submitting yourself to be on the podcast. And um, if listeners wanted to find you, um, do you have um, whether it's social media handle or some place where they can follow any future writings you do or other work? Sure. Yeah. So uh, my my handle on, on Twitter is just my name, Thomas Hockman, H-O-C-H-M-A-N. Um, I've written quite a bunch for the national interest. Um, and I have a piece coming out in uh, the print edition uh, this summer um, where I talked to Joe Mykut, uh, who's a, a CSIS yeah. uh, energy. And we love Joe. Yep. yep. We love Joe. And also uh, Alex Trembath of the Breakthrough Institute. Um yeah. So those, so I guess find me at the national interest and on Twitter. <laughs> great. Well, thank you so much for your time and enthusiasm and smarts. It's great to have you um, in the trenches with us. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. And I appreciate everything you guys are doing over at, uh, over at Republican. Price. Happy last Tuesday of April. Happy, happy. Can you believe it? This year is flying by. I know we say that every week, but like, I'm just astonished. Well, the thing I'm excited about flying is Bob, and that's being back on the road because he was—he's been all over the place lately in Florida, in Indiana. Appreciate a lot of the different uh, groups, individuals, clubs, uh, schools, professors, uh, myriad of folks who've had Bob um, in for a talk, uh, keynote, coffee lunch, breakfast, dinner, whatever it is, including some of our Republicans uh, in the greater Indianapolis area, also in southern Indiana and the greater Louisville, Kentucky area. So it's awesome to uh, to be back out and connecting with folks in person and doing it responsibly as we continue to march forward here on Season 4 of the Eco Right Speaks podcast, which you can listen to every single week on your favorite podcast platform, Chelsea Henderson, whether it's Spotify Apple Podcasts, Google, just search the Eco Right Speaks. It makes it easier for others to find when you download, listen, subscribe every week, and it helps us find others who are on the Eco Right who are interested in these climate and energy issues uh, from the conservative perspective. So, anyway, Chelsea, that is my spiel as we get going. I appreciate Thomas Hockman, young Thomas Hockman, for joining us to touch on a, a myriad of topics that he did in your conversation this week. Yes, not Nate Hockman's father, which right. is what I was <laughs> expecting, but his younger brother. So Nate Hockman, friend of the friend of Republic E and friend of the podcast as well. So, yeah, no, it's all, you know. You know me, my mom vibe sort of comes out and he is Jack's age, Mm -hmm. my older son, Thomas is. And so just kind of feeling a little maternal and proud to that, you know, that he had the hustle to get himself on this show. I mean, he he made a pitch. It was a good one. I was like, let's do it. And again, because he was so credible and so smart in his email, I just was imagining somebody older. And then the last name is, you know, it's not super unique but unique enough that i was thinking oh this has got to be he has to be related to nate but never imagined it was somebody younger so 
that was fun. That was a lot of fun. Well, like you said in the beginning and then during the interview, if you've got somebody talking to our listeners right now, folks, if you've got somebody, a specific guest, or if you have a specific topic that you would like to hear from or on, email Chelsea. Let her know we are always looking for guests in terms of trying to deliver what you guys want, what you find interesting, and what you want to hear about. That's right. It really makes my job all that much easier when I know what you want to hear because I know what I want to hear. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But no, it really makes a difference. And and you are ultimately the ones that make this podcast possible with your listenership and with sharing and all the things. So tell me what you want to hear and I will do what I can. Yeah, my daughter might want Japanese hibachi tonight. That doesn't mean I want it because dad's (laughs) buying dinner tonight with my wife and my son gone on his fifth grade field trip down to Tybee Island just off the coast of Georgia so it's a great uh, great analogy there is you know everything that we want might not be what somebody else wants and that's why we need to hear from you your suggestions ideas and feedback um, let me go ahead and shout out some new members Chelsea that we've got uh, that signed up Mackenzie B in Indiana, Frank D in Washington State, John K in Florida, Sally W in North Carolina, and Dale S in Kansas. We appreciate you standing with us, and if you have not done so, please sign up, republican.org forward slash join. We need you to stand with us, especially if you are a conservative. There is a power in numbers, folks, that you know that we preach about all the time here on the Eco Right Speak. So please, we'd love to have you stand with us at Republican dot org forward slash join we don't spam you uh we'll touch base here and there especially when we're in your area chelsea's weekend review which is one of the best things that comes out uh of being a republican you get it every single friday uh we'll, we'll touch base with you every now and then but it just helps us and also helps you stay informed that's right it i promise you it's engaging it's it's something you want to read and especially if you so I spend a lot of time, Price, as you know, yes, you do. going through the news. Like, that is my job. I go through the news. I like to think I do it so you don't have to, right? Then I summarize it, and there you go. So definitely, definitely, definitely sign up to be a member. Sign up for Week in Review and um, send us your podcast guest um, suggestions, especially as we start gearing up for Season 5. Price and I were just talking, not that Season 4 is over yet. We still have about eight episodes to go. And then we'll take a much deserved break, but we're always thinking about who is next. So, absolutely. Speaking of suggestions, please suggest who or tell us who we're going to have next week, Chelsea. We are going to have John Rowe, who is the retired CEO of Exelon. Um, I first heard of John back when I was a Senate staffer. I know I have to put a dollar in the the Senate staffer jar. Um, he, so my boss tasked me with writing a nuclear title to the climate change bill, but it couldn't be too heavily nuclear because then the Democrats weren't going to vote for it. So I luckily had met these folks at, um, at Exelon and I called them and said, help, what do we need? What do we do? And we ended up putting together, um, no, it wasn't a whole title, but it was a proposal to um, boost the um, training for people who work at um, nuclear utilities. Because yep. I don't know if you know this, Price, nuclear engineers 
there aren't as many of them as there used to be. And part of this has been the anti-nuclear propaganda, Exxon, a lot of nuclear holdings. So John's going to talk about his efforts with climate change. He's going to talk about bipartisanship, which he recently wrote about. And he and Bob are old friends. Bob pops in on that conversation as well. Can't wait for that next week. We will bring it to you then. Until then, Chelsea. And folks, our listeners, thank you so much for downloading, listening, and subscribing. Chelsea will talk to you then next week. Talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to this week's edition of the Eco Right Speaks podcast, brought to you by the team at RepublicEN.org. Make sure to visit RepublicEN.org to learn more and find out how you can be a local eco-right leader.